What are you werewolves up to? We're not werewolves. <laughs> We're why wolves. Uh, why wolves? Creatures possessed by the spirit of inquiry and bloodlust. What? Is the bad place. Welcome to Welcome to Storybrooke. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we've got a very special episode today. For two reasons, actually. We have a special guest star today. Uh, hi, Kel. Hi, I'm Kel McDonald. And we asked Kel to be on this episode because Kel is an official werewolf expert. That is true. Do you want to talk about your werewolf stuff? I make a lot of comic books that you can find at KelMcDonald.com. Many of them are about werewolves. I also organized an anthology called Can I Pet Your Werewolf, um, which is goofy, cute werewolf stories. And I know all the werewolf things. <laughs> um, I apologize in advance for making you watch an episode that takes place during the hell season. It is due to my poor planning that I didn't have you come watch the episode that was a YA novel about werewolves. <laughs> which is... I do vaguely remember that episode. It's a weird episode. It doesn't stick in your memory because it has no connection to the rest of Once Upon a Time. Yeah. So uh, as far as you watching Once Upon a Time, you told us before we started that you watched all the way up to this hell season and that it and broke And then you. I was done. Yeah. Well, you're the first guest we've had who's actually watched Once Upon a Time before. Yeah. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I watch a lot of bad TV while I work because uh, drawing, I need something in the background that runs. Uh, so yeah, I've watched all of... Once upon a time. I don't know why I did that to myself. Yeah. I don't know why we did this to ourselves. Well, there's, yeah. There's a reason that when we're done with this, we're going to alternate weeks. One week with Charmed and one week with Farscape. Because if we were just doing all Charmed, it would be too much. Alright, we are talking about Season 5, Episode 18, Ruby Slippers. It was nice of them to include the ship name in the title. Yeah, especially because this is not even a double entendre. The ship name is the only thing that makes sense for the episode of this title, since, as you will recall, in Once Upon a Time, these slippers are not ruby, but in fact silver. So, book-accurate slippers. Exactly. So, we are in book seven, The Not-So-Good Place. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, the previously on reminds us that Mulan and Ruby had hella chemistry back during the brave plot that everyone completely forgot about because of course they did. Way better chemistry than she will have with anyone else that we might meet later on. We also remember that the Wicked Witch was banished back to Oz and also that she exists. I'm so sorry. Zelina is back. Yeah and she's having another one of her redemption arcs. Does does Regina just enjoy the feel of a knife in her back? Because... Come on, it's been so you've been through I don't know, this. I feel like the whole cast likes those knives in their back. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, the whole reason they're in hell right now is to bring back Hook. Hook is dead because he tried to send everyone to hell and then stopped at the last second. So, at the end of the last episode, Emma and Regina accidentally knocked out Ruby using multicolored lights, as they do. And, uh, and then realized after she was unconscious that it was Ruby. Now she, they're going through her things while she's unconscious. Like you do. And they find a strip of gingham. Okay, 
I'm going to want to talk about that strip of gingham. When we see it, I think, and I'll have to double check, but it's, but Dorothy is not wearing her traditional gingham outfit. She's just using a strip of the gingham to tie up her hair. And then she leaves it behind because she senses somehow that it's her iconic thing that she needs to, like, use to signal people. Even though See, it had... I was very confused by it and was like, I, what the fuck is with this piece of cloth? Like, this means nothing to us. Right. Well, it has no relation to what she's wearing when we see her either. It's weird. I... Well, like, you, you saw the MGM Wizard of Oz movie. You know blue gingham means Dorothy. Come on. I kind of want to remind people or tell people who don't know that when this episode first came out, they had been teasing for a really long time. They'd been teasing all season that we were finally going to have a gay relationship on Once Upon a Time. And people were very excited because of the aforementioned chemistry between Mulan and Ruby. And they saw that Mulan was going to be in this episode. They're so mean to us. They're so mean to Mulan. Every storyline with her in it revolves around kicking her heart in the junk. Oh, poor Mulan. She even mentions here. She, yeah. she even mentions her prior heartbreak in this episode. She's like a professor of getting dumped. She's, she is an expert in it. So the flashbacks in this episode are going to be a flashback to a time in Oz. Post- but... It's it's post Selena getting banished back to Oz, but pre Hell season, I guess. Yeah, the flashback is like takes place during the hiatus between season five, part one, and season five, part two, hmm. between chapter six and chapter seven of our podcast. Right. So Ruby's looking for her pack, which is all kinds of wrong. Why is that wrong? Uh, so werewolf packs are just, uh, so the person who wrote all those essays about alpha male and alpha female stuff and pack behavior, then very shortly afterwards wrote a correction to that essay, which was, I'm completely wrong. This doesn't happen. This only happened because we threw a bunch of wolves that don't know each other in the same cage. So that's why they did all this dominance display stuff. Wolves in the wild don't do this. I'm sorry. But no one paid attention to the correction paper. They only took the first paper and ran with it. In the wild, Alpha male and alpha female wolves are just mom and dad. And <laughs> so all the wolves under them are just their kids. So the alpha male and alpha female being the quote-unquote breeding pair of the pack, that's just because you don't fucking have babies in your mom's house, hopefully. <laughs> Wait, so are you saying wolves don't like gather into packs at all? They don't. <laughs> at all. Well, that one would explain why Ruby's having so many issues. <laughs> yeah, her that's pack. why she can't find her pack because her pack is her grandma back home. <laughs> also, the people who are hanging out with your mom might not be thrilled with you, seeing as you kind of, you know, impaled her. Yeah, that's true. And the last, the last time we saw the pack, as it were, yes, <laughs> Ruby impaled her mother. Thus, I think becoming werewolf queen. But but no, the when wolves get old enough, they're supposed to leave their parents' territory and go start a pack of their own. So, Ruby, in this episode, you could argue, does find her pack. (laughs) I mean, it's true. By getting some. Yes, she does get some at the end of this episode, although I would argue she's in her pack right now. The pack 
That's the pack she should have. <laughs> yeah, right? Wait, the pack is the friend. The pack is the mates you make along the way. That's terrible. No. <laughs> so, for some reason, Ruby thinks they might be in Oz, and apparently, rum crossing is just something anyone can do all willy nilly now, so they're in Oz. Okay, to be fair, it's not that difficult to cross into realms that aren't the world without magic. True. We do know that. Other magical realms are easier to get to. And apparently there are just tornadoes picking people up and throwing them in Oz. Left and right. Yes. It's weird, too, because they get there. Presumably they got there because Ruby sniffed them out. Like, she was following some sort of scent trail there. We know this because we see her sniffing the air. But she says there's no trace that they were ever in Oz at all. So... That's a very sophisticated nose. But what they do find is a First, tiny... they get dramatic growling that turns out to be coming from a very tiny dog. Yeah. That dog was making a lot of noise for being a little yappy dog. Yeah. A lot of deep noise for being a little yappy dog. Suspicious. So, of course, the dog is Toto. We are in Oz. Yes, not Kansas. Ugh. And Dorothy emerges, except, like, battle Dorothy. Dorothy wearing a battle dress and carrying a crossbow. They have a jawline versus cheekbones off. Yeah. Because Dorothy has a great jawline, and Ruby's showing off her nice cheekbones. <laughs> oh, they should have a kid. And that kid was Bruce Campbell. <laughs> oh. Dorothy freaks out because she believes that... Ruby is a witch, and that's why Toto is all upset. Because Toto has been trained to bark at witches. Sure, why not? Yeah. But Ruby explains, no, no, no. It's not that she is... It's not that she is a witch. It's that she's part wolf, and therefore part dog. Yeah, no no problems there. Right? (laughs) Don't worry, I'm not a witch. I'm just a wolf. Of course, that does freak out Toto, who runs off, and then they have to chase after him, as is the want of tiny creatures Mm. but it's okay they can follow him because of the aforementioned scent power that ruby possesses back in hell zelina is in her sad single lady who lost her baby house staring at the single dead rose that hades sent her because that's super romantic there's that dimitri martin joke of like it's weird when you give people flowers because it's here now watch these die because I like you. That's yeah. true. But by that... But by that logic, perhaps Hades is the only appropriate person to give people Yeah, flowers. exactly. That's his thing. So then, uh, when Hades shows up, they do a lot of talking around what happened. Like, we're upset about the thing. The thing? Oh yes, the thing. <laughs> but they never actually say what the thing is. This is probably our favorite... Once upon a time trope. Let's really, really awkwardly avoid saying what, what happened. What any normal person would say. And by favorite, you mean that thing that we really, really hate. You know, like when they spent half the Peter Pan season with Rumple Stiltskin awkwardly avoiding calling Peter Pan his dad. Yeah. Because yeah. of our relationship. Yeah. Oh, Hades tells, Hades does tell Zelina that Ruby is there in hell, but she's not dead. She just found a way to get to hell, and now she's after Zelina. Hell is like the world without magic, right? Apparently you can't go there unless you have a very special, hard one way to get there. And then I everyone... mean, 
you're supposed to pay the toll, so... You're supposed to pay the ferryman, so... Maybe that's why it's hard to get into. No, no, I mean, at first People's it's hard checks to... are bouncing. <laughs> Plus, Rumpelstiltskin blew up one of his boats. That can't be, huh? Yeah. Congestion in hell. Oh, wow. Hell is, hell is like Portland now, where the infrastructure isn't designed to carry the amount of people that are going in. And then he stands perfectly still and disappears in blue flames. Yes, Hades stands exactly where the special effect is going to be edited in. He's, it's like when Halfrick teleports, except bad. I love how Halfrick teleports. I just rewatched the episode where she traps everyone in the house because of Dawn. In Mr. Gold's shop in Hell, Belle is beating herself up for having thrown Kostana into the River Leth, and is rereading her handsome hero, thinking about how much she has darkened her soul. She's... Also, you should probably feel bad because you destroyed that guy. I mean, yeah, Gaston's a lot more innocent in Once Upon a Time than he is in the Disney Beauty and the Beast movie. Uh, no, he's still pretty evil. He had the whole glowing red eyes and that mirror thing. He's not as evil as he is in the movie. Yeah. He's... More in the co- movie, he's the patriarchy. In the, mo- in the movie, <laughs> right? he's, yeah, he's, he's the patriarchy. He, he represents real evil in the Disney movie. In the TV show, he's cartoonishly evil. So really, Belle just should have kissed him and shown him true love. Going by her... Let's not get into Belle's track record with dudes on this show. Uh, although we will have to mention at the end of this episode. Will Scarlet was good. Yeah, uh, and whatever happened to him? Oh, yeah, Rumpel definitely killed him off screen. Poor Will Scarlet. In the charming loft, Ruby is explaining that she came here to hell to find Zelina because Zelina did something bad to her friend Dorothy. Hmm, friend. She's a friend of Dorothy. Her gal pal. Her gal pal Dorothy. Um, I would like to point out that, um, Snow White and Henry have the same haircut. And Henry is pulling it off so much better than Snow White. <laughs> yes. I do not know who Jennifer Goodwin pissed off on this set for her hair to look as bad as it looks in this show. Well, canonically, she pissed off Regina. Because <laughs> Regina controlled everything about Storybook. So she's the one that gave Snow White bad hair. <laughs> I mean, that is true. That is true. You can only blame curses for stuff for so long. Do you think the dark curse was enacted in such a way that her hair actually won't grow out from that? Possibly. That's entirely possible. So the Charming Loft, they talked about um, stuff. Ruby, they, they also talked about the bad thing that Zelina did. Like, Ruby never tells them what Zelina did. Just bad things happened. Well, Ruby doesn't actually know what Zelina did. She just knows that, she just knows that Dorothy went to Zelina and never came back. So they're going to go confront Zelina. But first, but first... The telephones are down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Excuse me. The hellophones are down. Oh, the hellophones. Okay. Snow wants David to go to the telephone, the Inspector Space Time telephone, and call Neil so that he can hear their voice. And even though he's an infant that can't understand things. Yeah. I mean, I guess. Maybe if you wanted to be good parents, don't abandon your kid to go to hell. I mean, have they done anything useful this season? No. no. I mean, when was the last time they did anything useful, period? But Never. Uh... But also, they are terrible parents, so maybe getting out of the picture is the best way for them to be parents. But no, this show is very firm on the fact that 
um, adoption and fostering is bad. Oh, um, yeah. And you're better off throwing your child in a river than putting them up for adoption or leaving them to be taken care of by someone else. I mean, yes, this show is pretty hard on adoption, but also Emma's pretty great. I feel like, I feel like she turned out okay and she did not have David and Mary Margaret in her life. And when we see the alternate universe where she was raised by David and Mary Margaret, she's terrible. Oh yeah. You didn't get to the princess Emma stuff. It's awful. Oh yeah, you stopped before the alternate universe where we see Emma as as she would have been if she had been raised by David and Mary Margaret, and she's basically an ineffectual princess who doesn't know how to do anything. Okay. It's awful. That tracks. <laughs> but Henry is a knight, which raises its own questions, such as who is Henry's father? I mean, clearly, um, she getting busy on the side. <laughs> but with Rumpelstiltskin's son? Maybe. Also, she just decided to name... She decided to name her kid after her evil step-grandmother's dad. Yep. The wish first does not make a lot of sense in Once Upon a Time. As opposed to Buffy, where I feel like they did a lot of thought about what would have happened in an alternate universe before they created the wish first. In Once Upon a Time, though, as Kel said... The phones are down. Yes. Apparently Hades has put a kibosh on the whole letting people call their living loved ones thing. I mean, I gotta be honest. I think for the most part, their loved ones who are still alive would be upset at first, but then it would probably be kind of a relief to not be haunted all of the time. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. But Cruella says that this is because Hades doesn't want people feeling hope. There's too much hope. Hmm. Although she does offer to let David make one call to baby Neil in exchange for being written back to life. Which, not gonna happen, Cruella. Hey, girls gotta try. Yeah. <sighs> Poor Cruella. She was the greatest villain this show had. God, she knew just how to play the high soapy drama. Why couldn't she have been the one Hades was in love with instead of Zelina? That would have been amazing. Right? Uh, could always use more Veronica Smurfett. You just like saying Veronica Smurfett. I do. It's a great name. Also, she's amazing. But they rip out the phone, and David has a big ol' sad, because he can't... I don't know. He can't do anything, which, you know, story of his life. <laughs> yeah. How am I supposed to half-ass raising my kid now? David really does hate raising kids, doesn't he? Back in Zelina's single woman farm, she's about to use the ruby slippers to leave, because that was the deal for getting her kid back, when the Storybrooke crew, plus Ruby, show up. There's a little purple light on the slippers that show that I think she's mystically blocked from doing it, possibly by Regina, because purple magic is Regina's jam, so... Yeah, I think that's what we were supposed to see. Regina was stopping her so they could have a conversation. But this does throw us into a flashback where we see Zelina, who has just been physically thrown into Oz. Yeah, and where she gets confronted by our newly formed girl gang. We're on our, what, third incarnation of the girl gang? What was, what are the other incarnations? There was a girl gang that was Emma, Snow, and... Uh, Mulan and Sleeping Beauty back in season two. Was there a different girl gang after that? Uh, there was Mulan, Merida, and was that it? I guess it's not much of a girl gang if it's just two people. Yeah, two people isn't a gang. Two people's a girl partnership. 
I guess there was only the two uh, incarnations of the gr girl gang. That's disappointing. I like this. I like this girl gang though. I like any girl gang. But Zelina got banished back to Oz, as we saw at the end of the last arc, and she's really honked off about it. Cause you know her baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, Charming stole her baby. And then she talks about, like, my baby! <laughs> Some more. <laughs> and how her baby's the best thing ever. Better than ruling the whole world. Um, and all she wants are, all she wants are Dorothy's silver slippers so that she can get back to... My baby! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, so she has, she has snatched up Toto and put him... In a handy picnic basket that she carries around in case she wants to evoke the imagery from the MGM Wizard of Oz movie. And tells Dorothy that she can have her dog back in exchange for the slippers. But do you know that the reason why they're... It's not so much they're trying to invoke MGM Dorothy. They're trying to evoke that really shitty, um... What's his name? Oh, God, the James Franco... James Franco movie, because Disney doesn't have the right to sell the MGM stuff. Right. But they did make that shitty James Franco movie. So, um, all the things, like, that's why the slippers are silver, so they're book accurate, because that's the color they were in the shitty James Franco stuff. And if, when they show the Wizard of Oz's place, you know, when they first did it, it was very clearly channeling that shitty movie. Um, and so all the imagery that she is actually channeling is shitty movie imagery. Oh, that's terrible. We haven't actually watched the shitty James Franco movie. It's very bad, don't. <laughs> it's odd that in this case, Disney is the golden films to MGM's Disney. Oh, poor Disney. They could really take over that copyright if only they hadn't spent the past several decades making copyright law terrible. Mm. So, blah, 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 back in the- Baby! Yeah. <laughs> oh. That's, that's Zelina for the next three seasons of this show. <laughs> back in the present in Underbrook, the sepia filter that they're using to indicate hell is terrible from a design perspective, but makes all of the women's skin look amazing. Honestly, I think it also works very well with Zelina's hair. It makes it much nicer red color. I think that might be part of it. I have never... Rebecca Mater has never looked better in this show than she does in this episode, in my opinion. So she demonstrates to the Underbrook crew, I suppose they would be now, uh, what happens to Dorothy, that she is under a sleeping curse. And this is a particularly wicked sleeping curse because Dorothy has no one who loves her. She has no family or friends. Even though Ruby is crying her eyes out about something happened to Dorothy. Nobody loved her. Not even this woman who is sobbing. So <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I, I know this would be counterproductive, but they could have pulled the fables and just had Toto lick her face. Dogs love everybody. Yeah, that's, that's how they true broke. Love. Yeah, that's how they broke uh, the Sleeping Beauty curse in the like third volume of Fables. They just found a dog to lick Sleeping Beauty's face because dogs love everyone. Wow. Yeah. Wow. There's also the time that the Frog Prince guy kissed her. That worked too. So, Zelina's setting up another trade. Oh, she's doing trades in both timelines. Oh, she's really taking over for Rumple here, who's off doing his own thing. 
Rumpel doesn't. Rumpel does not want any piece of the main storyline here. He's seen it. He is okay not being in main storylines anymore. Which means that it's Selena's job to make the deals, and the deal she makes with Regina here is that she will get to see her child, and Regina gets the slippers, so that Ruby can. Ruby can get Auntie M and bring her to Oz, so that. Auntie M can give her the kiss and wake her up and all that jazz. Because as we established way back in season one, family love is true love. Yeah. Familia love is true love. This actually seems like it sort of has a lot of callbacks to what this show does with season finales, where there's one big thing they spend a lot of the episode trying to do, only to realize that a much simpler solution was in front of them the entire time. It is kind of a little microcosm in that way. Yeah. It turns out the answer, as with so many things, was lesbianism. Exactly! So Regina's gonna take the slippers, go off to Oz, and Zelina's just gonna stay here in her- And drink scotch. And drink scotch in her single woman farm. Yeah, she's Are we not sure it's a sepia tone and not a scotch tone? <laughs> it, it is kind of a scotch haze over everything. Yeah. Perhaps it does seem to be stronger at the farmhouse. Yeah. Mm. So Ruby establishes, now that they've got the slippers, that- the only person who loved Dorothy was Auntie M, so they have to find her. Luckily, she happened to go to this underworld, despite not being in Storybrook or the Enchanted Forest. I think everyone goes to this underworld before passing on to their personalized heaven, or else going to hell, which is also the same for everyone. Don't worry, the cosmology in this show makes perfect sense. So back in the flashback, they're brewing up some of the, they're brewing up some of the sleeping potion for Zelina to stop her. But they need opium. You know, we've said it before, but opium is doing the heavy lifting in that sleeping potion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Dorothy and Ruby are going to go to the poppy fields to gather some poppies to put in the sleeping put potion. Put opium in their sleeping potion. Yeah. Boy, I hope they don't end up bonding in some way during this little secluded excursion okay this bonding moment is really weird to me because we established when they because we established when ruby and because we established when ruby and mulan first landed in oz that ruby has read the books and seen the movies so she's like intimately familiar with dorothy in a way that dorothy is not familiar with her yeah that's weird in fact as they're bonding she's telling ruby about how when she got back from Oz, nobody believed her and they tried to institutionalize her. And Ruby's response is, oh, that's terrible. And not, yeah, I know, I saw Return to Oz. The wheelies gave me nightmares. In a weird way, I know it's not because nobody watched it, but it does sort of feel like a reference to the Once Upon a Time in Wonderland spinoff. Because the same thing happened to Alice when she got back from her adventure. Her father tried to institutionalize her. Oh, really? Yeah. Or maybe that's just a horrible thing that happens to women in these sort of stories because they're written by men and everything is awful. It's also the time period. Yeah. Like, Victorian ladies don't talk about white rabbit nonsense bullshit. Uh, Better get that in line, Alice. Uh, Yeah. Plus she was wearing pants. Yeah. Um, Clearly her womb had detached and was wandering around her body. Yeah, so, partly written by men, also timeline. Yeah, men are terrible in fiction and and out of it. So, Ruby tries to relate to her by being like, yeah, no, I totally get that. After I ate my boyfriend, my village kicked me out, and not, like, 
With pitchforks and torches. But she also doesn't talk about the multiple other murders that she committed in that town. Uh, so... Murders only, murders only count if you are a named fairy tale character. Also, she doesn't bring up the pretty solid point, I know what it's like to be rejected by family. My mom tried to kill me when I refused to eat people. Oh yeah, that's much more relatable, but I think... And that also doesn't let a stranger know that you're a mass murderer. Or that you dated a man. Which is another thing that I think she probably doesn't want Dorothy to be too aware of right now. But she hasn't figured that out yet. I think she's starting to figure it out. I think this episode was definitely written by a straight dude. What? I, well, I don't want to make assumptions, but I did look it up, and the guy who wrote this episode is married to a woman, so. And it has a very, I don't know if we've mentioned this on the podcast, I'm bisexual, Tina's bisexual. Well, there are multiple, like, people giving anecdotes about being bisexual and assuming they were straight because if I'm attracted to this gender, the the gender society tells me I'm supposed to, mm-hmm. then clearly that means I'm straight. So if she doesn't hasn't had any ladies uh, popping that button for her yet, yeah, there's just a there's a very particular narrative you can see when straight people write coming out stories. Uh, one of my go-to things is the Brian Michael Bendis handling Bobby Drake coming out in, uh... But did you see that Reddit that was going around that was a screen cap of a guy being like, so I have this friend that's a gay guy, and I I am completely straight, um, but then we held hands while watching a movie, I just and then we made movie. out, um... And then we kept making out, and my sister referred to him as my boyfriend. Is he my boyfriend? Am I still straight? And it's like, well. <laughs> yeah, I just saw that. I just saw that this morning. He was like, we are just friends who like, like each other. Like, make out and fuck sometimes. <laughs> but then there was an update where he was like, yeah, talk to him. I guess we are boyfriends. I guess I'm not straight. <laughs> yeah. So, um... I would say that, you know, it happens. <laughs> well, this feeds into a really particular narrative. Yeah. We'll get into yeah. it later. But specifically, bisexual people need straight people to tell them that they're bisexual. Oh, because, see, I was talking about her slowly figuring out, oh, maybe I want to tap this. <laughs> Is Yeah, especially as a bisexual woman female sexuality especially in pop culture is shown as so much more fluid that when i first started being when i first noticed being attracted to women i was like well that's just how women are that's just how women feel about each other just gals being pals exactly right it's like needing glasses yes everyone sees like this you you make out with a girl and you're like oh i see the world so much more clearly now but anyway back to the show so they find Auntie M's gravestone. Apparently she's uh, a maternal aunt here because she's not Aunt Gail. Nope, she is Emily Brown. And I should look up if that's book accurate or not. I have no idea. Hmm. Do you know by any chance? I haven't read it in a long time. So. And her gravestone is neither tipped over nor cracked. So she is somewhere here. She has not ascended or descended. And as soon as she gets a kicking pair of pumps, she'll be able to uh, head up and my god is that the plot of the christmas shoes what 
No, the plot of the Christmas shoes is a lady dying of cancer. <laughs> but she needs the shoes so that... Jesus will think that she's hot enough to let her come visit whenever she wants. No, it is a child misunderstanding. <laughs> cancer is the plot of a Christmas shoes. Uh, God, they, that song is terrible. God, they made three books out of that. They made... I, I knew they made a book. They made three books. It's and then they made a movie. Starring Rob Lowe. I was familiar with the movie. What could possibly happen in the second two Christmas shoes books? Apparently it follows this guy. I'm assuming the last book ends with his daughter trying to buy him shoes as he's dying of cancer. <laughs> if I had to guess. If that was the ending, I would actually kind of be into that. It was kind of like a meta-commentary on how terrible the Christmas shoes is. So, uh, then the Charmings argue about who's gonna go take care of the baby. Yes. Um, because, uh, Snow wants to go because gender roles, and, uh, Charming doesn't want to go because gender roles, but they are forced to do what they're not supposed to according to strict gender roles. Because Snow's name is already written on a tombstone, so she cannot leave hell, so David is gonna have to babysit. Which He's gonna have to be Mr. Mom. Okay. Which... I which, when it's your own child, is just parenting, by the way. Uh, yeah. That is true. I, I have a completely separate thing I'm upset about, which is the reason that her name is on the tombstone is because Hades was like, for every soul you liberate, I'm going to trap one of you down here. They liberated a boat-ass load of people. They should all be stuck here now. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, they liberated the entire crew of the Jolly Roger slash... Jewel of the Realm. Jewel of the Realm. Huh. Well, none of those guys counted, because none of them were named characters. Oh, Liam, I mean. Oh, yeah, they did liberate Liam. Yeah. The point is, nobody thought this through the season. Hades needs a better accountant, I think. David is going to put on the slippers, he's going to grab Auntie M and zoop her back to Oz, and then he's going to use the slippers to go make sure that baby Neil remembers who they are. With Ruby. Ruby's. With, With Ruby. Ruby's hopping along on this. So a whole bunch of people He's are just going to be... very disappointed about it. <laughs> so is he carrying these people? Or are they hopping on his back? How's this going to go? I think as long as you're in physical contact when someone's using the shoes, you all go. Like Superman, if you're in physical contact with Superman, you can fly, even if you're just like holding his fingertips. Mm. Yeah. Tactile telekinesis. So then uh, Belle goes to uh, Scotch Farmhouse. To talk to Zelina, mother to mother. My baby! <laughs> <laughs> Although in this instance, that's actually Belle. They're both like my baby. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, Belle is concerned because Hades... Ha I love this product placement, by the way, of just, we're getting, like, the scotch bottle is angled and in the center of the screen, so it's like, Jack Daniels bringing you once upon a time. <laughs> yeah, they're doing the product pl placement thing. The label is always facing the camera. It's always, always visible. front and center, Yeah. When, when the baby you bore from the man that you sexually assaulted is kidnapped by his new wife and brought down into hell, and you have to go save him, but it's okay because the devil is your ex-boyfriend, there's only one brand of scotch you want to reach for. That's this scotch. Jack Daniels. <laughs> so, I'm also assuming Zelina's not breastfeeding. I mean, I know she's not because she's separated from her baby, but... I was going to say, um, Max, she can pump and dump. It's fine. But actually, when you are breastfeeding, if you stop for a short amount of time, even a couple of days, which she clearly would have had to do, it stops. So, yeah. Yeah. Breastfeeding is really difficult. 
And as a culture, we make... And as a culture... It's even more difficult. We do. And then we're so high pressure to women to do it. It's terrible. You have to do this thing or your baby's going to grow up wrong, but you can't do it here or here or here or anywhere, but you have to do it. Also, you immediately have to return to work because we have no societal or economic support for you. Yay, everything's terrible. But that's not Belle's concern. Belle's concerned about the fact that Hades has a contract that means that he owns her baby. And then she, then Zelina tries to offer some advice, which literally makes Belle vomit. Don't trust Rumple. That is good advice. But Belle Belle has bad decision making. God, she does. I'm going to run back into a castle full of ogres so I can get a book. I mean... Ogres don't want to read. They just want to eat people. Yeah, just go after the ogres are gone. It's going to be fine. They don't even, like, burn the castle down. It'll be fine. Also, They're... it's clearly a book that's been mass printed. Yes. But that's that's a previous episode to complain about. But because of Belle vomiting, she realizes, oh shit, like, people have magic powers and can, like, accelerate time, so... Right, Zelina tells her that she didn't have morning sickness because, as you all remember, Emma sped up her pregnancy. Although <coughs> Bullshit, she was pregnant for like six months before that. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Sorry. That's okay. Yeah, so anyway, Belle remembers that... No- oh shit, that can happen to her too. People have magic powers on this show. <laughs> I forgot magic exists. Okay, so so I was playing a role-playing game. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was Shadowrun, and in Shadowrun there's both magic and tech. And so I built a character who had all of these, like, cybernetic implants um, in Shadowrun. Have you played Shadowrun? No. Okay. In Shadowrun, you can get cybernetic implants, and the way that they control it so you don't become too powerful is that you lose a little bit of your humanity every time you do it. And then, so I had so many cybernetic implants that I was, like, a hair away from not being human anymore. And I was, someone was shooting at us, and I was like, I have all these implants. I could just take it. And I jumped in front of them. And the GM was like, what's your willpower? And I was like, shit, magic exists! Because the more cybernetic implants you have, the less human you have, the less human you are, the more susceptible you are to magic. Oh. Yeah. Magic messes with technology. I'm just saying, having been the person who forgot that magic existed, it's not that far-fetched. I mean, but she doesn't live in a world with cybernetic implants. There is only magic. Yeah. And that is their solution for everything. So she literally forgot, like, the thing that I used to solve all my problems exists. Yeah. Oh, and then we have Charming took off his shirt in the angriest way. Back in the Charming's loft, David is angrily removing an outer shirt to reveal a slightly smaller shirt underneath. He's just so mad, he has to take off his jacket in the most aggressive way possible. But once he does, he, like, has his arms bent in aggression, so he can only get it down off his shoulders. So he aggressively takes it off his shoulders, and then has to meekly shrug it off. I also like how he had rolled up sleeves under his jacket. That couldn't have been comfortable. That's why he had to take it off so angry. Oh, okay. But then he has good man time, bro time with Hook. Yeah, God, I hate both the characters in this scene so much. And they're just discussing their plan for... Uh, so David won't have to do his paternal duties. And and Hook's like, Hook goes into this whole, like, uh, you shouldn't have gone down to save me, but I guess you really appreciated all those Hook jobs I gave you back when we were in Neverland together. And David's like, let's make it like we're bonding for the first time, even though we've had like a dozen scenes where we get over the fact that you're stupping my daughter. I guess if you're into Hook 
charming shipping. It's a neat scene for you. So in the poppy... I mean, I remember... I like Hook and um, Emma together. I think that was actually a pretty good matchup as far as characters on this show making bad relationship decisions. Because at least those actors, they have good chemistry, I think. I really liked Hook and Emma together right up until I started hating Hook. Then I was like... Yeah. Emma, don't go into hell for that guy. Although, we still do love old, drunk, fat Hook. Who has not appeared yet. Oh, okay. you didn't get to that. In the alternate universe where Emma didn't hook up with Hook, he just became an old, fat drunkard. Okay. And then he gets magical plastic surgery and becomes Hook, uh, the main Hook in the reboot season. <laughs> so, in the flash, in the poppy fields in the flashback, Mulan and... Not Mulan. I know. Dorothy and Ruby give each other nicknames and flirt and show off their cheekbones and jawline and then get some opium together. <laughs> yeah, Wolfie and Kansas, by the way, are their nicknames. I've never picked poppies with a woman before. I'll show you how. The scene. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then Dorothy gave her a flower. Yes, Aww. a magical flower that will knock people out. But as in Okay, a- so she, I missed it the first time that she just put it in her belt, but now she's turning into a wolf. Where did the flower go? That is a great question. <laughs> no, okay. So whether or not a werewolf retains its clothes when it turns into a wolf and then back into human form is like a thing in werewolf fiction. Like you have to decide, do the werewolves clothes disappear and then reappear when they're human or are the clothes just gone well remember in twilight the clothes disappear except for the jorts well no in twilight the clothes stay on the wolf they're just ripped away yeah they're ripped away but when they turn back into humans they still have the jorts the rest of the clothes are gone the jorts are still there really we should have been seeing wolves running with jorts on yes that is the one flaw in the twilight movies once Upon a Time has established that when you turn into a wolf, the clothes disappear. Turning back into a human, there should be no more clothes. And thus, no more Poppy. So there's some dramatic running, and then... Flying Monkey showed up. Flying Monkey showed up, and then Ruby's like, I need to turn into a wolf. That can freak you out? And it's very dramatic, like, I don't know if I should or not. But it it is like, why didn't you do this sooner? It's literally, um, you're like, one big power superpower. Move. Yeah. Yeah. And David yelled at you until you stopped eating people that one time, so that's not an issue anymore. Uh, and she turns into a wolf that Dorothy rides on, but the wolf is far too small to carry her. Because uh, it's, like, the size of a St. Bernard, and, like, a ten-year-old could ride a St. Bernard, but not a full-grown person. It's smaller than we've seen werewolves in this show before, even. It's clearly too small to get on when she's standing right there. Yeah. Okay, so what do you think about the way they do transformations as far as her bending down off screen and then it just being a wolf? I mean, that's you got budget restraints, that's fine. They managed to successfully outrun the flying monkeys. And we have a dramatic full moon shot, but I don't remember the full moon being tied to her wolf stuff. I thought it was just the cloak. The cloak lets her control her wolfness, but yeah, you're right. The full moon is not tied to her wolfness. Yeah. She has control over it. She can do it whenever. So then she turns back into a lady, and Dorothy's like, I'm so tired from riding Ruby all night. <laughs> she is. I have to say, like, 
going on a nice walk and then having the person you're with turn into a wolf and having to ride them away from danger and then having them turn into Ruby. I've been on worse dates. Yeah. When she turns back into Ruby, as you say, she has all of her clothes still. But not the, where'd the poppy go? I mean, it has to still be there, right? In her in her belt. We don't see. I feel like the poppy disappeared. Yeah, it's yeah. not there. Yeah, there's definitely no poppy when we see a full body shot of her. Huh. Huh. All the poppies we don't have. Um, <laughs> well, they were in a field of poppies. I mean, I guess it doesn't matter since they don't... I guess it doesn't matter since at the end of the day they don't end up using the sleeping powder. So maybe after Dorothy begs off and goes to bed, Ruby and Mulan have a conversation where Ruby realizes she doesn't have the poppy anymore and Mulan gets upset and then they try to figure out what to do and then it doesn't matter because of what we're going to see in the next scene. Okay. I think Mulan just went out and got the damn poppies herself. Mulan's job on this show is fixing other people's stupid mistakes. Or maybe she just sent them away so that she could take care of making it herself. Okay, this is a great pause. Her eyes are so fucking wide at getting called a dog. It's true. So. And her pupils are huge. God, she's gorgeous. Back in Underbrook, the Underbrook crew are looking for Dorothy's Aunt Em, and they're like, hmm, where do old women tend to be? Diners. There's, yeah, that's 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 legit. Yeah, so they go to the diner run by the blind witch, and Emma Caulfield tells Ruby that she doesn't let dogs in her diner. Hi, Anya. And then Ruby makes a great face with giant wide eyes. <laughs> she has wide Disney princess eyes. Ruby is the cause of a ton of great screenshots. We got one of uh, her telling... Uh, Dr. Whale. Telling Blaine from iZombie that, he, uh, that she ate her boyfriend, and he's like... This rough man. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So, Anya realizes that we're more than halfway through the episode, so... She, she should help, because we gotta get this episode moving. Exactly. So well, she... they threaten to have Ruby eat everyone in her diner. But which... they're already dead. Right, so... what would that even do to them? It's such a whole... And they're the good guys. So oh. then they go to a different diner? Yeah, Anya tells them that... Auntie M runs another diner, one we haven't seen, but we really should have since apparently it is not run by a cannibal and is, like, literally across the street. Where Auntie M is the person running it, and she's also making a lot of jokes about being in hell, but you'd think this would get old fast. Maybe that's part of what hell is. You have to keep making those jokes. God, she it could... must be free then, the country god she conspicuously drinks some of her own soup and then the heroes tell her what's going on they need to capture one of her kisses using the vial that the blind witch used to capture david's breath and then bring that kiss to dorothy to wake her up but as soon as auntie m takes the vial she collapses into a puddle of water my mvp extra for this episode is the guy who is pouring coffee into his cup in the foreground while she was melting. It, like, doesn't even pause. He's yeah. like, okay. I mean, no one in this diner seems I to mean, give a shit. Like but... I said, they live in hell. People maybe melt all the time. God. So, Hades is in a booth, and they... and the Not under... even her staff. Her staff isn't reacting to this. And he's like, 
Yeah, I turned the lady to goo. What of it? Yeah, yeah. He says, I am the villain in this season. I am here to thwart you, so I did this to thwart you. Regina really wants Zelina to have sent him to do this, and he's like, no, I just did it. <coughs> he's you. just like, I'm the bad guy. It's what I do, yo. Character motivation. We pull back on what I feel like is a really bad shot. When we were first watching this episode, I just made a mental note to talk about the composition of this shot, where we see the back of the Underbrook crew while Hades is facing them and telling them about his evil plan. But there's also some randos in the foreground that are blurry, and so there's no focus on anything. Yeah, that's my MVP extra right there. But yeah, no, this is a horribly composed shot like the director couldn't get that guy to move like nobody nobody saw this this is this is the height of nobody cared what they were doing anymore yeah and we got it emma has a speechy speech about how he's scared that they might actually win we don't know what his goals are yet yeah yeah like he seemed to not want them to be in hell anymore but then he trapped them in hell and now he wants Selena to be his bride, maybe. But why would having them in hell help her with that? And I just, I don't know. What? Do you think he just wants them in hell to be dicks to Selena so she'll stay with him? That's as good a motivation as anything. Because if he he keeps them around to be like, yeah, everyone else he knows a dick to you. Also, I got your back, baby. And he can get points with Selena by being mean to the people who are mean to her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope you have enough room in hell for everyone. So he mops up. We, we've established that he does. Mm. So he mops up the puddle that was Auntie M and, like, rings her out into a mason jar. Uh, My dad used to make jam in jars like that. It's a mason jar. Yeah. Yeah. I was running a role-playing game once, and all of the characters died and went to hell. And I was describing the caves in hell, and, like, there was stuff dripping down the walls, like iridescent stuff dripping down the walls and one of my players was like "Ooh, i drink it why would you do that I'm like you're drinking the set dressing i mean he's already dead i guess so well so anyway i made it be the souls of people and then he was possessed by like five different people <laughs> and every few minutes i would roll a die and he had to change which person he was wasn't that the plot of herman's head i've never seen that tv show oh. so hades holds up the jar of auntie m and is like hey this is what happens if you help the Underbrook crew. Also, her body does not fill that much of a jar. Well, there's no way that he... There's no way that he wiped up that much water with the half-hearted wipe that he gave, either. Yeah. I also like how nobody in the diner is paying attention to the ruler of hell, even. He's talking to them, and everyone's still eating their eggs. Yeah. Um, so then Ruby's sad in a flashback. Yeah. And she has some time with Mulan. Which just made me be like, okay, so while her and Dorothy were picking flowers and giving each other's nicknames, I was just going, kiss, kiss, kiss. But then I saw her, Mulan and Ruby next to each other, and I'm like, oh, fuck Dorothy, kiss Mulan. Right? Uh, She has so much more chemistry with Mulan. It's, oh, why does this show make Jamie Chung? And she has both the jawline and the cheekbones. Yes, she does. God, she's a beautiful woman. Mulan is such a... Mulan is so dicked over in this show. All that happens to her is that she gets rejected by the people she loves. Over and over and over again. So I know that you think Ruby's hot, but she just makes me think of Megan Draper from Mad Men. Who I I also think is hot. 
I'm kind of not into it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she makes me think of Megan Draper from Mad Men 2. Okay. Who I, who I also think is hot. Mad Men is full of beautiful people. Beautiful people who are empty inside. The characters. I'm sure the actors are fine. So Mulan tells her, look, my role in the show is getting dicked over romantically over and over and over again. We're never going to win a GLAAD award at this rate. Go in there and make the fuck out with her. But Ruby's worried because Dorothy seems to have freaked out about the wolf transformation. And Mulan's like, no, she's freaked out about her feelings. Nothing. Which I feel like she wasn't freaked out at all. She's very, like, indifferent to what was going on. I feel like that indifference is actually a better argument for I don't want to confess my love to this person because of their sheer indifference to things going on. Right? You should have a response to when a woman turns into a wolf. Yeah. She said she felt tired, she was going to lie down, and she looked tired, and she sounded tired. Okay, but that's what I'm saying. If you're not full of adrenaline after riding a wolf... Yeah, I feel Yeah, I feel like that <laughs> indifference is a more damning response. Yeah, absolutely. But when Ruby goes to talk slash possibly make out with Dorothy, she sees that she has indeed noped out of there and left her significant hair wrap behind. Yeah, yeah, her gingham strip of cloth that was that was all they could that was all they could wrestle away from the uh, copyright and here's the scene that you mentioned the straight person tells the bisexual person that they're about their own sexuality yeah, yeah. in the present snow white is telling ruby that maybe she should go give dorothy true love's kiss because clearly this is true love you knew her for what like 10 minutes come on it is a disney property it is a disney property and, of course, Mary Margaret can't spend more than five seconds talking without making it about herself. So she's like, just look at my relationship with David. Doesn't that make you want true love? Uh, she... And then she also calls Ruby her best friend. But where the fuck has she been while Ruby's looking for her pack? I'm just saying. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. Snow White also thinks that maybe Dorothy's freaking out about the wolf, which, as we said, wasn't really freaking out isn't necessarily a bad sign because she punched David the first time she met him and that was definitely true love. So and then there's some people that you are in love with one another hurt each other and some other very bad advice going on here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's unhealthy relationships. Ugh. The charmings and also this show do not seem to know what a good relationship is. Also love looks is like. scary is another wonderful tidbit from Snow White. You should just straight up hate the person you're going to end up with. That, love that's... is scary and you hurt each other. Um, but her saying love is scary just made me think of that Into the Woods song. Uh, I know now. I was thinking like, about that song this whole episode. Oh yeah. my god. Excited and scared. <laughs> Back in Underbrook, we see uh, Ruby leaving the gingham strip of cloth on Auntie M's grave, which is cracked, which means that Auntie M's in super hell now? Yep. Yeah, she went to super hell. Apparently. Uh, and then the Charming say goodbye to one another, and then dramatic reveal, gender roles are being enforced. Yes, okay. It's not supposed to be, but this is freaking hilarious. Yeah, Snow White's not staying behind. David is staying behind. Because... They have used Hook's hook to childishly cross out Snow's name and scrawl David's in its place. 
And the thing is, I know you guys are giving it a hard time. I'm saying it's hard to write with that hook. Like, it's kind of like... It kind of turns too much that he has to, like, awkwardly jimmy his hand in certain ways to get it on the tombstone. Like, it is not well made for carving into things. I mean, I understand... Cut him a break. (laughs) I understand he was not using the proper tool for the job. I just can't... I just refuse to believe that that awkward childish scrawl somehow overcomes the spell of the king of the underworld. It's also his left hand, so it's his non-dominant hand, so... (laughs) Alright, alright. I want to give the scene credit for not using their goddamn arc words. I feel like we've seen a dramatic drop in arc words recently. Wow, I didn't even... I didn't even notice, but you're right. They don't say that they will always find each other. Huh. Anyway, they're boring, and then they say goodbye to one another. Yeah, everyone's having their scarecrow, I'll miss you, least of all, goodbyes. And Emma points out, she's like, it was dumb of you guys to come with me here. I'm glad you're leaving. (laughs) Also, you pointed out while we were watching this, Emma's wearing her big coat in this episode. It's weird. I feel like... It's em- a great coat. <laughs> it is a great coat. It kills the drama in every scene it's in, though. There's a funeral that that coat will ruin later. I like the coat. It looks super comfy. I would love to be wearing it. It was raining. They don't want to wear that coat in the rain. I just feel like Jennifer Morrison puts it on for episodes that she doesn't care about. So Ruby and Snow click their heels together three times and go off to Oz. And, and Emma gives uh, David a half-hearted pat on the shoulder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're there. Yeah, she realizes that she's left with the parent who's not even halfway competent. Ugh. Uh, so then Hades uh, dumps Antium's soul into his river of souls. Yep. As you do. And he says to Zelina, like, did it all for you, baby. He has been so creepy in this scene. But the thing is, is, like, his acting is creepy, but I feel like everything that he's saying is a healthier example of a relationship than Snow White's people who love each other hurt each other. He's like, I love you. I'm going to do things just for you. That's, like, a much healthier romantic statement than, um... Oh, people hurt each other when they love each other. You just blew my mind right now, but you are right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The King of Hell is definitely a much better boyfriend than Prince Charming. No doubt. So we get, like, dramatic exposition of Zelina, like, knocking out Dorothy, which we already knew. She uses a pin prick. So presumably she took this from the Sleeping Beauty story as opposed to the Snow White story. Mm-hmm. You remember how much crap Regina had to do to get a sleeping spell? I, d- I do. I do. But... That aside, I just want to bring up that she's using the needle from the Sleeping Beauty curse. Mm. So, yeah, she knocks out Dorothy. Yeah. Um, That was a really, really pointless flashback. Yes, it was. I think the point of it was for us to see that Zelina has that uh, spindle. Oh, okay. Oh, right, because it's going to come in. Yeah, because it's going to come up again in the next scene. Okay. So yeah, so his basically his whole motivation for turning Indian to goo is like for you, baby. Uh, and uh, then he tells her like um, that he understands that she has trust issues because everyone in her life is a jerk, but he's not going to do her wrong. Again, healthier romantic statements <laughs> than the good guys. He says it in a creepy voice, but otherwise healthier romantic statement wow 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Wow. And so they, they drink to that. Yeah. He gives her presumably her scotch brand. Yes. He gives her her Jack Daniels and um, says, like, you know, also, he's giving her time to win her over. Again, healthier relationship goals than kissing people that are asleep. Speaking of kissing people that are asleep, we go from there to Oz, where where Dorothy is unconscious and surrounded by munchkins. Okay, Mulan is really good at finding coma benches for people. Yeah, especially thematic coma benches. Like, she has a nice green coma bench for Dorothy here. She had a nice marble one for Aurora. Yeah. Yeah. And later Philip. Oh. It was kind of interesting. I know this is besides the point, but uh, Zelina was talking about how much the people of Oz loved Dorothy more than her. So I feel like there may have been other options here. Well, she said specifically, like, they loved her like a hero. They didn't have true love for her. Oh. So Ruby and Snow show up so that Ruby can wake up Dorothy with lesbianism. The most powerful force in the universe. Although, I mean, bisexuality. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to presume to state Ruby's sexuality, especially since we have seen her in love with men. And mice. Yes, she did have a loving relationship with Gus Gus the mouse. For like 10 seconds before he got axe murdered. Poor Gus Gus. It's a nice moment. It doesn't super feel earned. Okay, so the show, outside of what we see on the screen, spent so long telling us we're going to get a lesbian relationship. People got really excited, and then the show was like, but it's going to be two characters, one of whom you'll never see again, and one of whom this is their first appearance, and then you will never see them again. I know Dorothy appeared before, but not this actress. It was a younger Dorothy. Yes. So, it is, yeah, it is kind of cheap where they're like, we're going to have a lesbian love interest with two side characters who will never appear on the show again. I mean, it's not barrier gays, at least. At least they don't get killed off. Mm. But introduced and then disappearing, I feel like you shouldn't get that much credit. Well, it's a very special episode, like the Golden Girls thing with uh, Dorothy's friend who was a lesbian who shows up for that one episode. Yeah. It, it felt very early 90s, we were going to have a gay character for one episode and then never again. Will, what we're saying is Willow and Tara, this ain't. But Ruby and uh, Ruby and Dorothy make out in front of literally everyone in Oz. And uh, they're all just kind of standing there watching. <laughs> and guess and who then all... Henry's writing about it. Yeah, yeah, up in Henry's bedroom, he's composing some fan fiction. Yeah, Henry is, uh, hmm. Writing about lesbian makeouts. And, okay, so apparently the book does the pictures here. I guess. I guess the book creates the pictures. I like that he still, like, swiggles his hand, even though he is clearly not writing. Yeah, yeah, the, the pen just needs to be over the paper and the words appear. He doesn't need to squiggle his hand. He could just do, like, he's, straight lines. He's shaking the words out of the pen. <laughs> and then he runs downstairs and he's like, Grandpa, Grandpa, look! Look, lesbians! Uh... uh. But everybody is very happy and filled with hope that this plan worked immediately and they only had to super kill one person for it to happen. Yeah. Boy, that NGM thing was just so pointless. She died for nothing. She went to no, extra she hell died, for uh, She died so that way Hades could get his girl. 
Okay. Okay. <laughs> she died for love. <laughs> in Mr. Gold's shop, Belle comes in and lets him know what she learned this episode, which is that magic exists. Yes. And that her pregnancy could be magically accelerated and Hades could take her baby, like, any second. And so she has taken the spindle from Zelina, and she's just going to prick herself and go unconscious so that the baby can't be born. Fair. No. I mean, not fair. I mean, that's also not how that works, but okay. I mean, not only is that not how it works, like, the baby will continue gestating even if you are asleep, but also, this is the spindle from Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty became impregnated well asleep, in the Grimm story, not in the Disney story, obviously, gestated the babies, gave birth, all well still asleep. And then the baby sucked the wood out of her finger because they were nursing, and then they thought her finger was her nipple, and that's how Sleeping Beauty wakes up in the yes. Grimm story. Those were some autonomous-ass babies. Uh, they were magic. Ah. <laughs> uh. But within the, within the framework of this story, Belle's going to prick her finger. The suspended animation will freeze her baby along with her. Because you don't age when you're in, under a sleeping curse. So sure, sure. I, and then, like, they have some really unhealthy relationship conversations. Because Mr. Gold's all like, you think by needing to be woken up by true love's first kiss, that's going to force me to become a better person? And she's like, nah, my dad's gonna do it. Uh, so now you have to save him. Uh, Which is both messed up, and also, her dad tried to erase her memory when he didn't like who she was dating. Yeah. Not okay. This is completely an unhealthy situation. Compared to Hades and Selena. <laughs> who just like, hey, we're gonna work on your trust issues, I'm gonna give you space, and... To quote Leverage, the pretzels are here when you need them. Yeah. I, yeah, God. I do like that Belle seems to go for the sleeping curse, like, as her go-to move. Mm. Um, she, she also put herself under a sleeping curse when she was mad at Rumpel, saying that when he was ready to love her correctly, he could wake her up. Jesus. This is a horrible relationship. <laughs> it really, really is. But also, I, I, you might not, you might not remember this. But when you are in the sleeping curse, you're not asleep having peaceful dreams. You are trapped in a fire dimension, and Belle knows this. So this is her solution: is to spend who knows how long. It's in a for her baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's leave it there. So, in conclusion, everyone is terrible. The end. <laughs> Oh. Belle's under a sleeping curse. Hades is trying to get Selena back. Ruby likes ladies, but only for this one episode, and then we never see her again. I hear the postscript season is better with gay relationships. I hear that they actually have good representation. We haven't got there yet. So, yeah, we'll see when we get to that season. We couldn't get past every episode has, like, a five-minute-long speech in it, and we just couldn't get through them. We're going to actually watch them next week, and we're going on a vacation, and we're just going to spend the vacation watching all of season seven of Once Upon a Time. So, that was Ruby Slippers. Yeah, so... It's time for our segments. So, we talk about clothes that we particularly liked in the show. I don't know if okay. anything stood out to you. Well, I liked that big, goofy jacket. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I mean, as our, as, our listeners lit, as our listeners know, we live in the Pacific Northwest, and... Uh, that jacket would be really cozy in, like, a month. Yeah. 
Zelina actually had an outfit I really liked. It was a very high-waisted skirt with sort of a puffy top that she was wearing very briefly early in the episode. When she's first in the Scotch farm. Yeah. It, it's yeah. kind of this green flowy outfit with a high-waisted skirt. Uh, I'm not 100% feeling it. It's kind of too poofy. It's it's kind of 80s. It's yeah. a lot of look. <laughs> um, I don't really have anything to say about outfits. Uh, I am always a fan of fake medieval corsetry, which we get a lot of in this episode, and I'm just gonna praise the sepia scotch filter, because it's doing good things yeah. for everyone. I like it. I like him as coat. Uh, it's a good coat. Uh, so the other segment we do is what this show should have been instead. Oh, it clearly should have been Mulan Ruby makeouts. Yeah. I know. I'm like, Usually Max and I have two different things, but I feel like all three of us have the same vibe on this, which is that instead, this show should have been about Mulan and Ruby being in love. Yeah, honestly, you kind of could have just taken Dorothy out and put Mulan in her place. Well, then we wouldn't have been able to count it to I don't know. I don't... I feel like... She had a grandma in Mulan. Mulan's too... No, she didn't. In the movie. In the movie, no. She had her two parents. No, and her grandma, who was super horny for, uh... Oh, that's right, yes. Her grandma <laughs> did want to bang Chang. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, Hades could have had her dad. Uh... Yeah, I guess so. But I feel like the pinprick thing, like, Mulan's too competent for that. <laughs> that is true. accurate. Plus we saw her deflecting fireballs once, which was never followed up on, so she might have some sort of magic immunity. Like, it could have been, like, she had to go to the underworld to talk about, to, like, find her dad or whatever, and Ruby was there. Yeah. yeah. For reasons. They they could have gotten them together there a variety a of ways. Of ways. Yeah. yeah. So that's gonna that's gonna wrap up this episode. Cal, do you wanna um Do you have anything you'd like to plug here? Do you wanna drop your uh so I make comics that you can find at Kelmcdonald.com. Um and then I do a podcast that is advice for people that want to make comics independently called Dirty Old Ladies. Um I'm on Twitter at Kelhound. It's spelled like Hellhound, but with a K. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you would like to become one of those patrons, you can go to our website, www.ilovetelevisionzines, and click on our Patreon link. We would like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, and Ryan. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can also rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash ilovetelevisionzines. We can also be contacted at ilovetvzines on Twitter or at ilovetelevisionzines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybrooke. Be the moon